The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. It's time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Hope everybody is doing well. You're really going to love this edition because we're going to lead off with one of the great A's of all time. He's a three-time World Series champion. He's a four-time manager of the year. He's a Hall of Famer, and it's always an honor to have Tony La Russa on the program. So you're going to hear from Tony, who now works for the Boston Red Sox. He is a vice president and special assistant to Dave Dombrowski. They're helping out with baseball operations. So we'll talk to Tony about a lot of different things. We'll talk about the 1989 team. We'll talk about his time in Oakland. We'll talk about baseball and then all the wonderful things he is doing with Arf. After Tony, we're going to do another skipper, Fran Reardon, the skipper of Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Aviators. And we're going to joke with him because of all the home runs being hit in AAA. We're going to joke he is now managing the greatest offensive team of all time. It's really what the one of the cool things that we're doing now with A's cast. On nights the A's are not playing, we're going to be airing one of our minor league affiliates games. So we had him on to promote that game and to talk about AAA baseball. Then we're going to talk to the pitching ninja, Rob Friedman. This guy is helping people all over baseball, and he's now helped uh, Patterson, the guy the A's have signed, the guy that lit up the stadium uh, radar guns, and uh, Nathan Patterson, who the Athletics signed. He's helped him. He's worked with him. So we had to bring on the pitching ninja to find out all about this guy that the A's have signed. And then last but not least, he does a great job covering baseball for MLB.com. Anthony Castro Vince will stop by to talk a little baseball. So that's what we got going on this edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And we're going to lead it off with one of the greatest managers of all time. He's one of the great A's. He's a Hall of Famer. Here's Tony La Russa. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's an absolute A's legend. He's a baseball legend. The Hall of Famer, Tony La Russa. Tony, it's so great to catch up with you again. Looking forward to it. Thanks. You know, when I think about what you're doing now with the Boston Red Sox, was it like your relationship with Dave Dombrowski and what you guys are doing there in Boston <clears throat> and, and just going through the trading deadline that we just had? Well, we have a history. You know, not a lot of people know about it, but when I first started managing in the White Sox minor league organization in 1978, I started with a AA club. Dave Dombrowski had just graduated from college, and he joined the organization's assistant farm director. So... We got started the same year in 1986, uh, early in June. He got fired, and in middle of June, Dave Duncan and I got fired. So we got fired, hired and fired the same year, and for 30 years, wherever he was and I was, we stayed in touch. And and um, last in November of, of 17, I Dave brought me over here and got to experience that uh, the World Championship season. But he's a great. Uh, yeah, he's got a ton of experience. He's a great general manager. And uh, we just went through, you know, it's really arduous because there's so many days and nights that you spend as a staff looking at, you know, the needs and uh, possible trades of other clubs that uh, 
by the time four o'clock came around on Wednesday, man, you know, I was glad to get it over. Yeah, I bet. And uh, I've always been a big fan of Days. He was actually the first GM I ever interviewed in my career way back when, when he was the Marlins. So I always root for you guys. How strange was this deadline that normally after the 31st, we have the waiver process, you can claim guys, and this was a hard deadline. What was that like? Well, it created a different kind of urgency. Uh, you know, the unknown is always special the first time you do it. So every organization was trying to think their way through it. It did require that you make a quicker decision about whether you're a buyer or seller. And the fact is that you get towards the end of July, there's a lot of uncertainty and you would prefer in some cases to wait and have a chance in August to improve the club. But, you know, you play with the rules as they are. And they're just, like I say, it added urgency, tons of phone calls going back and forth between all the 30 organizations. And in the end, it was uh, what you've been seeing lately. You know, there's a lot of, priorities with team that hold on to their young talent and uh and not really looking to uh make a trade for young talent if you only get two months of uh of another player or pitcher well i can tell you here in oakland everybody was pretty shocked and the front office was shocked that zach grinky did end up in houston what was the reaction in boston uh well you know we you know they're not in our division and uh and we fear like if uh if we see them, it'll be in the playoffs. And if we if uh, we play them in the playoffs, then you know they'll have three outstanding starting pitchers, and we have three outstanding starting pitchers, so we'd be ready to compete. But you know that's uh, I think it's an aggressive move, and they think you know they're having another it's a third year in a row that they've really you know really really been tough in the West, so they're going for it. How much do you enjoy the wild card because it keeps so many people in it? Red Sox, you look at the Athletics, you look at the Rays, you, you look at Cleveland, all these different teams vying for the American League, and there's so many different teams in the National League. How do you like the wild card? Well, I think it's uh, it's added a lot to our game, and I actually think the second wild card has been really good. You know, some people make it, don't like because of the one game in and out. But uh, what, what was happening, in, especially if you had two real good clubs in a division, then – they really kind of just cruise to the end. If one finished first, great. If they finished second, the the penalty for a wild card. In fact, in 2011, when we won the World Series in St. Louis as a wild card. You play an extra road road game. You know, it, it isn't that much of a penalty. And uh, the whole point was that you wanted to to uh, be able to give credit to a team that finished first in the division over six months. And if you got in by the wild card, you're happy to get in. But there's another one you had before you qualify for the remainder of the playoffs. You know, you had to you had to beat that one and in or out. And uh, you know, I hear some complaints, but I think it made sense. It added a lot of excitement to that game. Plus, it gives real meaning to finish first in the division. The Hall of Famer Tony Larusa joins us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend and Tony. Where we're doing this interview in the A's offices, right outside from where I am in the studio, they run this video about the greatness of the Oakland Athletics since they moved here in 1968. And a big part of this video is your run when you were here, and especially in 1989. And we've been seeing a lot of the 89 guys and honoring these guys Truly, what was it like to manage that group? It was such a dynamic group, and you won the championship in 1989 against the Giants in the sweep. 
Well, it started, uh, you know, we had done a great job, you know, with uh, Carl Keel and Keith Lipman of taking young, talented guys, putting them into player development. By the time they came to the big leagues, they were ready to work and play. And the evidence was Jose, Mark, and Walt were rookie of the years. And then you had guys like Steiny and, you know, Mike Gallego came through the system. They were really good players. So, uh, you know, Sandy had a great offseason, 87 November. December, I guess it was. And for 88, 89, 90, you know, we went, we, we were a, a really good club. And what was it like? You just, you know, I don't make any pretensions, man. The, the club was so well, uh, so well put together that uh, my job was to tell them what time the game started and who we were playing and kind of just watch and enjoy. And, and I think what the, the A's are doing now is really honoring all these great teams, all these players, the players from 72, 73, 74. We've recently honored the 89 team, and when you get to see Dennis Eckersley and Ricky Henderson and all these guys, how much do you appreciate this new this new regime for the A's truly honoring its history? I think it's a huge step in the right direction. You know, I had the good fortune uh, when I left the A's after 10 years and working for the house family, which is a, you know, break anybody would, would really, <laughs> would, would, uh, appreciate, uh, walked into St. Louis where they really make a, uh, tremendous effort for years to look at their history. And every time you went anywhere, you saw Stan or red or Lou or got Gibby, you know, red, uh, Brock. So I think, that fans enjoy uh, being connected to the past. They want to celebrate them and honor them because you should never forget the history. And if you don't do it, you know, it kind of slips away and you forget. You know, they won three straight world championships. It doesn't happen. So uh, uh, that was a special part. And, you know, we did our share to get in. I, we still, I'm still, and a lot of us are haunted that we only won one of the three in our chances. You know, I think about the organizations, the historic organizations you've been connected to. You mentioned the White Sox, the Athletics. You know, this the the St. Louis Cardinals just ooze baseball history. And now with the Boston Red Sox, obviously we know the great history of the Red Sox. You've always done a good job picking teams that have a tremendous history. <laughs> well, I got picked for this one because that's uh, I was lucky with being the manager. But Dave being here and he was going to hire a young manager named Alex Cora who uh, he thought maybe I could help him. And after spending a couple of days with Alex, man, this guy, he's, he has a wonderful background. I haven't done a whole lot here except cheerlead, but uh, and he also has a great bench coach named Ron Renneke. So, but it is, uh, you know, your point about history, you know, for all those years with the A's, we come in here and, you know, those are some great games. We had the two playoffs in 88 and 90. So, uh, unfortunately, that was, those are good memories because we won, but, in 04, we came in here with the Cardinals and got swept. So, you know, bittersweet. But this is a special place. They, uh, the fans totally, totally embrace this ball club. And, uh, and uh, I mean, they live and die with them, which is a lot of fun to be a part of. 
Yeah, Boston, it's uh, it's incredible, the Northeast, the way they cover games and where they do, as you said, live and die with every single game. As I have, My family is actually season ticket holders to the Red Sox, and they, they just absolutely love it. And for you being in the front office, you know, it's so different from being a manager, but you've seen the front office evolve over the years. You mentioned Sandy Alderson, who's now back with the A's. Just talk about how different everything is with analytics, technology, Versus what happened when you first came up as a manager? Well, it, you know, I was lucky because uh, starting in Chicago with Jerry Reinstorf and then coming over to the A's, you know, with Sandy and the Hosses, uh, they they really were looking to be as uh, forward pioneer as they could, gathering information. And then you have a coach like Dave Duncan who just was a genius about developing different, you know, charts and so forth. So, uh, we we always were information crazy, getting ready to play. But the one thing that that uh, that we had the confidence from upstairs was that once the game started, they invested in us the authority and the responsibility to make the adjustments, which are so part of uh, of trying to win because the game is very dynamic. And now you know there's a, definitely a lot more information. A lot of it is very similar uh, to what was there before, but it comes in a different format. What you have to be careful is it's a strike to balance because in some places they're literally, you know, telling their manager, "Hey, there's your lineup. This is how you handle the pitching. This is a, this is you can't do this with a running game. You can't do this with a bunting game," and that's to the detriment of uh, of, of winning. So I, I think there's a evolution going on, and I think that, you know sooner or later people will start realizing that uh, there's a great value in the analytics and then you balance it with the traditional and, 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 uh, the fact these guys are human beings down there, man, you gotta, you gotta check their heartbeat every day cause it changes. I'm so glad you said that before we uh, talk about ARF, I'm so glad because yes, we know of some managers who really aren't making decisions. It's it's all about the front office. They're telling guys what to do. And I always like to say, especially on the post game show, is you are dealing with human beings, not robots. And that's what makes our skipper here in Oakland so special. Just like you were in Bob Melvin, it's still people that you're dealing with. It's still a people business. You still need to communicate with these young men. Talk about Bob Melvin and some of the good managers still. In, in this game where communication is still one of the number one things? I think the, uh, you know, you, you do get a lot of information that's very useful. Uh, but unless you get guys to play the game and play the game properly, you, know, you can't do that with a bunch of percentages in a script. And uh, Bob Bob is, uh, you know, one of the masters of taking the information. I mean, they do a great job with the uh, – A's and putting rosters together and and uh, setting up an opportunity, but Bob and the coaches are uh, are uh, I mean they've proven what they can get out of that club and, and it's a real day to day adjusting kind of thing and uh, I just want to you know I just I guarantee his peers uh, understand how outstanding Bob and the coaching staff is uh, and by the way and you know there's a disrespect sometimes with some of these younger front offices they uh, you know they're all full of themselves, which is okay. But, you know, you got to understand the value of what, uh, of what, uh, an everyday adjustment and, and reading your personnel and building it on relationships, not percentages. 
Well, not only are you a baseball legend, but here in the Bay Area with Animal Rescue Foundation over the years, what you have done for animals in the Bay Area and, and even outside of the Bay Area. And Liam Hendricks, the all-star here at the A's, has talked about he's teaming up with ARF. I know you're busy right now with the Boston Red Sox, but do you have any events coming up and anything we can help you promote that's coming up, especially after the baseball season, that ARF is going to need our help? Well, I appreciate that. You know, Arthur is in his 30th year, if you can believe it. And we appreciate Liam and his wife uh, being a part of what we do. Uh, uh, you know, we're working hard at it. And there's always something going on at Arthur as far as, you know, trying to get more animals, more dogs and cats into homes and, and uh, not euthanized. But, you know, we do a, we have a, a wine and whiskers event in September where we uh, we really showcase the, the, uh, the facility. I would encourage people to look at the uh, website, which is ARFlife.org. And the other one that's really uh, topical right now, Chris, is that uh, seven years ago we started a program where we put dogs with veterans with PTSD, and that has gone viral, man. It is so great that we're actually right now constructing a, the first, the country's first private facility on our back lot. So it'll be a, a combination community center training center so that we can match these dogs with uh, with the veterans, and it's it's the testimonials are no to prove that we're we're on the right path with this. So, you know, people can help with that because we're you know, our capital campaign. We're right towards the end of uh, raising all the money, and we've already started building because we're having confidence that we'll raise it. So, if they want to contribute to to that capital campaign, they can visit the website as well. You know, I know your legacy in baseball is so big, but your legacy with this, Tony, and, and what what it has done around the country is truly amazing. Uh, did you have any idea when you started ARF years ago how big this would become, how many animals you would save? Did you have any idea? <clears throat> Not really. And I mean, it's really important. You know, Elaine, you know, my wife of years, uh, and our daughters, Bianca and Devin, I mean, we all share this passion for companion animals. And Elaine was much more knowledgeable than I would. I loved him, but she knew more about, you know, the euthanasia, the euthanasia, the euthanasia and the need for spay neutering and so forth. So the, to attract the volunteers and the support to have a staff that we have, uh, you know, we have an executive director, Elena Baker, who's been with us 25 years. Uh, that whole team, I mean, you put everybody together, the volunteers, the staff, <clears throat> you know, the heart and passion of, uh, of our family, uh, no, no, we were hoping to build, you know, 10,000 square feet and save a few. And, you know, our, the, the original the, the facility now in Walnut Creek is 32,000 square feet, man. So it's gone way beyond. And actually, and you know, it, it, being a manager and having a chance twice a day to talk to the press, once we discussed baseball, there was always room and notes. We got a lot of free publicity, which we've taken advantage of. Well, Tony, you know what you mean to the A's community and what you mean to our fan base and this organization. We always appreciate the time, and anytime you need help promoting anything with ARF, you know we're here for you. Thank you so much for coming on again, and be well, and good luck to you and the Red Sox the rest of the season. All right, Chris. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Tony's he's fabulous. He's absolutely fabulous, and I love the things he had to say about about Bob Melvin and about managing, and uh, he knows how good our skipper is. But, you know, Tony, what a career. What a person he is on and off the field for all of these years. And now we're going to hear from the AAA manager, Fran Reardon. 
And we got to ask him about judging guys in AAA with the balls flying out of the ballpark at a record rate. And then, of course, you know, pitchers giving up those home runs. What numbers are real? How do you judge numbers? And just how great that facility is down in Las Vegas. The Aviators facility, the stadium is second to none. Here is AAA manager of of the Las Vegas Aviators, the AAA team for the Oakland Athletics. Here's Fran Reardon. Fran, thank you for taking the time. We appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I was, to be with you. I was joking. You're the manager of the greatest offensive team in the history of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, if you look at our numbers offensively, it, it is pretty staggering. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have a lot of really talented hitters. We have a lot of threats in our lineup. And uh, we have a lot, of, a lot of versatility, guys that can run, guys that hit for average. And uh, every night is just a really fun group to watch hit. You know, you've been in baseball and you've been in pro ball a long time in your career. And have you ever seen anything like this before uh, in minor league baseball? Not on this consistent level. I mean, here we are. It's August August 2nd, and we're still hitting over 300 as a team. And it's not just uh, three or four guys. It's it's eight or nine guys that are that are doing it consistently on a, on a day-to-day, night-to-night basis. So, I haven't seen this this kind of consistency, this kind of uh, you know power combined with with speed and, and average. Um, it's just been a lot of fun to watch. So yeah, this is the first time in my career I've had an offensive group like this. You, you know, we we talk about it up here at the big league level too because it, it's career numbers and home runs. We've never seen anything like this before. And I tell people I've never seen anybody boo the home team when they hit a home run. People love home runs. I've never heard anybody say a football team scores too many touchdowns or that there's too many three pointers being made. I mean, the fans are really getting into it, aren't they? Well, yeah. Other than a walk-off hit or uh, something that a pitcher does, striking out the side in the bottom of the ninth, you know, home runs are what's going to get the fans off their feet and get them loud and cheering. So, yeah, uh, we hit a lot of home runs. The, the A's obviously hit a home run, a lot of, a lot of home runs, and that, that's what people love. That's what they come to the ballpark to see. So it's obviously one of the most exciting plays in the game. Tell us about your stadium, because I've heard from some friends that have been down here that the facility is second to none. You know, it's hard to do it justice with words, and, and that's that's what people who come here for the first time say because people are coming up, people are coming down, people down on rehab assignments. You you hear all this wonderful, all these wonderful things about the facility, the stadium, the amenities, but you don't really understand it until you you lay eyes on it. But uh, I'll try. It, it's it's the, the crown jewel of minor league baseball. They did such a fantastic job here of just thinking things through and making everything first class. Everything is of the highest quality. Um, the fan experience is second to none. And as far as our guys coming to, to get better at their craft and to work on things, um, the, the facilities they have provided our players are second to none. And uh, I certainly appreciate that because a lot of times those things get overlooked when, when they build new stadiums. But that's certainly not true in this case. And you guys are getting great support, aren't you, from the people in Vegas? Absolutely. I think we just surpassed uh, 500,000 fans for the year and we're leading all of minor league baseball in, in, uh, in home attendance. Uh, the people have really rallied around the, uh, the aviators here and it's shown to be a really good sports town. You know, you have the golden Knights that are, that are obviously a hot ticket in town, the Raiders coming to town next season. And it's just a, a, 
buzz about the city that people really, really are getting behind the aviators, coming out to support us. And the, the fans are smart. They're into the game. They know what they're, they're looking at, and it, it's, it's a lot of fun to be around. Yeah, Fran, for so many years, everybody was afraid of Vegas and professional sports. And as you mentioned, the hockey club, uh, the Raiders coming. I mean, Vegas is showing that it can be a really top-notch sports town. 100%. And, and people forget that there's people that live in Las Vegas and the surrounding areas, quite a few people. And those, those people, they, they may be transplanted from other areas. They may be homegrown Las Vegas residents, but they love their sports and they get behind them. And they, they've shown that they're going to support new teams. They're going to su- support teams that do well in the standings. And that's been the case here so far. What's it like for you as a manager to tell a guy for the first time that he's going to the big leagues and this goal that this young man has had for so many years and you think about the families and the parents and sometimes wives and you're telling them they're finally reaching their goal what is that like for you it's the best part of the job um it's it's something that you live for you know you, you may find out a day a couple days in advance and you, you kind of know that the kid may be going to the, the show for the first time, but I'll be honest, there's, there's a lot of emotions involved. Um, what, what people forget or what people may not understand from the outside looking in is they get to this level and there's so much work put into their craft. There's so much hard work. There's so much sacrifice. There's a level of dedication that is, it's staggering. And they're in AAA. And when they finally get the news that they're getting an opportunity to go to the major leagues for the first time, it's, it's an emotional thing. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen tears of joy. I've seen uncontrollable laughter. I've seen uh, a permagrin that you just can't shake off a, a guy's face, but to a man, it's a, it's an emotional experience for them because of all the, all the commitment, dedication and hard work that's gone into the, their career to that point. Yeah, it's it's really one of the great things in sports, and, and you get to be a part of it. You know, one of the tough things for, for you, uh, you know, you want to win, and there's always change. That's the thing at every level, whether it's A ball, double A, triple A, there's always change. There's guys going up. There's guys coming down. How tough is that for you? Is this your, your, You don't have the consistency that, like, a big league manager has with his roster. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. And I just try to take a pragmatic approach to it where you have your players that day and the players you have that day, you're going to try to put in the best position to win that day. You're going to try to make them better. You're going to try to develop them as, as future big leaguers, but that could change tomorrow. And every day you have to look at it as, as a, a, the sum of all, all the parts of the ball club and adjust and adapt accordingly. Um, so for, from my perspective, if I have that approach, it makes things much easier because I know change is coming. From a player's approach, that's where they have to be their mentally strongest, where maybe somebody else gets called up or maybe there's an injury that happens where they're going to miss some time. And that's where you have to stay very, very mentally focused, mentally tough, so you can still perform at a high level if it's not you that gets called up or if uh, for some reason you're you're not playing up to your capabilities, that's where the mental game comes into comes into place, and uh, it, it's an, it's a never-ending thing for these guys. I want to ask you about uh, some of your players, and I want to start with Sean Murphy. As we know, we look at him as the future behind the dish for the Athletics, and, and it looked like he banged up his knee again. How is Sean? 
Well, we, you know, we've got a little bit of good news from out of Arizona today. He went back and, and saw the, <clears throat> the doctor that, that performed his first surgery, and uh, he's feeling much better. And the, the doctor is optimistic about, you know, this not being a major setback for him, um, which is such great news because when, when you talk about Sean Murphy, you're talking about, number one, a first-class kid, um, just a, the best teammate, the best character, the best guy you'd ever want to have as part of your organization. And number two, you're talking about an elite talent behind the dish, um, offensively, defensively, the way he studies, the way he approaches the game. And he's he's shown that. And he's shown that he is is, is going to be a very good major league player. Um, and just to have a little setback is frustrating, but to know that hopefully it won't be for an extended period of time, it's exciting because just in the short time that he was back, coming back from the first surgery, he was just an absolute wrecking ball in the middle of that lineup and uh you know hit five home runs in the first week he was he was back and, and caught really well and just brought an energy to our club that that we didn't have before he got here jorge mateo is a triples machine i mean the year he's having is fantastic i have a lot of people who call into the post game show and they want to see him up here at the big league level tell us about his skills and is he big league ready Jorge is uh, he's an, ex- an exciting player. I, I can't think of too many guys that have his electricity, um, his total skill set, his ability to run at an elite level, uh, his ability to play defense at shortstop at an elite level. He hits for power. He hits for average. He, he basically does does everything that you would want a, a major league shortstop to do. And is he big league ready? I, I think that he is. I think that he still needs to work on some some consistency. You know, when when he does have a few bad games in a row, getting back on track a little bit quicker than than I've I've seen here, here lately. But for the first two months of the season, you're talking about a guy who was arguably the best player in the PCL, uh, just doing everything like you said, a, a triples machine. And when he hits a, a ball into the gap, I, I barely even look at where the ball goes because. Watching Jorge run, going first to third, is one of the most exciting things you can see in this game. And let's end on this because we know you got a game tonight, and of course we're going to be airing that game right here on A's Cast. Uh, your game against Oklahoma City, the Dodgers. Franklin Barreto is coming back to you. He has been sent down. Stephen Piscotty's activated, and for Franklin, it's just we hear all the time he just needs more playing time. What needs to happen for Franklin Barreto for him to really take over the starting job at second base for the Oakland Athletics? Well, you know, he's had a lot of a lot of call-ups in the, in the last two, three years, and his opportunities have been limited based on who, who we've had playing second base and the personnel that kind of block him from, from playing every day. So in order for him to get that opportunity, when – when he does get the opportunity again, which I think everyone would agree that he will, just taking advantage of it quickly, making an impression quickly when he when he gets there, so that he can number one feel that confidence that you need to to excel at the major league level, and number two give give Bomel the confidence to to go to him in in crunch time to to trust him to to be a great offensive and defensive player on a day to day basis when the team is in a pennant race, and uh, I think once he can get past that hurdle, I don't think there's any stopping Franklin and how, how good he can be at the major league level. We really appreciate your time. We, we, we know you got a game coming up here, so thank you very much. And let's talk when you guys are in the playoffs. Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love that. 
I cannot wait to get down to that ballpark. I mean, it's Vegas. It's Vegas. How cool is Vegas? And you get to go to a ballpark down in Vegas that was it's 150 million, I believe, is what it cost to build that. So, you know, down in the desert, you spend that much money, you know it's gonna be absolutely first class. Well, Nathan Patterson is one of the most fascinating names in baseball now. He is the guy that was pitching to the speed gun in Nashville, hit 96, then he did it again at Coors Field. He signed a contract. So we had to learn more about him because the A's were keeping him under wraps. So we reached out to a man that's worked with him, and he works with all kinds of pitchers. He works with big leaguers. He works with minor leaguers. He works with college guys. He's the pitching ninja. It's one of the great nicknames of all time. And you follow him on Twitter, at Pitching Ninja. Here is Rob Friedman. Rob Friedman. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. And by the way, the nickname, the Pitching Ninja, that's one of the best ever. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So what exactly do you do as the Pitching Ninja to help pitchers get better? Oh, I, I, I do a lot. Mostly I try to help people see what actual real uh, top pitchers do. For example, mechanics, uh, pitch grips, kind of everything. Well, and, I study and, the game. Okay, so are, are you into all this technology that we have now with these high-tech cameras and Rapsodo and, and all the different radar that, that teams are using? I literally have a Rapsodo that I use in my basement. I have a, have a full-fledged bullpen in my basement and use Rapsodo all the time. Yep, definitely use all that. So who's coming to you? Is it big leaguers? Is it minor leaguers? It's college guys? Who are you working with? Well, I mean, most of the stuff is, is well, I have, a, I have a team of folks that I work with. I'm a volunteer pitching coach at a, at a local high school and then work with players around town um some actually come in to town to work uh with me but it's online it's mostly everybody i mean i have major league folks that will text me or dm me uh pitchers to see what other pitchers are doing grip wise to ask me how their pitches looked to uh try to sometimes it's just to highlight a nasty pitch they may say hey check out what i threw in the seventh inning that made this guy look stupid and i'll put that online well, the thing that I like about what we're doing with pitchers now is, you know, years ago you'd have a pitching coach, you'd have a catcher, you'd be in the bullpen, you'd throw a nasty pitch, and everybody would say, yeah, I kind of the way I like the way it looks. Well, now you get the immediate feedback on the grip, and with everything that you know about spin rate and spin efficiency, once you throw that pitch and you see what it, you, you know, right, exactly like this is the grip I need to use. You, exactly right. I mean, it used to be that you'd, ask, you'd say, hey, that was nasty. Did it move? Now you can actually tell if it moved. The other thing is with the high-speed cameras, a lot of times you can't exactly feel what you did, or you, it's a little misleading. You may think you held on to the ball longer when you didn't, and you can slow it down to you know a, a, a thousandth of a second to see the ball coming off your hand in, in high definition to see, actually, no, it left my middle finger this time where usually it leaves my other finger, and this is what I need to do to be successful. So combining the two is really the magic to making a filthy pitch. How well do you know Nathan Patterson, this guy that the A's have signed, and we, we really don't know much about him? 
He's the mystery guy. He's a natural. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've known him since January. So one of the other cool things that I do is, is not only help ex- establish pitchers with their, with their stuff, but I also help folks be see- seen with exposure, um, help the scouting community find folks. And he had uh, tweeted to me in January. He was throwing with a cast on his, on his arm, on his left arm, on his glove arm, um, and was throwing 95 with a cast on his arm. I'm like, holy crap, this guy's really good. I mean, his mechanics were fantastic. So I tweeted him out there. They had a bunch of interest, but nobody, he really wanted to get a lot of pro interest. And for, he had some conversations, but uh, nobody bid at the time. And uh, I'd been keeping up with him. We've been uh, texting and DMing, and he's a really good, really good dude. Uh, just had his mindset on making it, and he ended up. His brother tweeted him out throwing in a stadium, you know, radar gun booth at uh, the Rockies game, and he hit 96 there. And I knew who he was, but I tweeted it out, and uh, and it just took off. Everybody's like, "Oh my God, this guy's awesome!" And I think that just made everybody take notice. And uh, folks were jumping on him. I mean, it was like, hey, who is this guy? Uh, but I had known him since January and, and kept up with him. Really good dude. And, uh, I mean, you guys will love his, his arm action. is is crazy. Uh, it, it's as easy as you can ever imagine. Now, the thing for me covering Major League Baseball, and I've been doing it for a long time, years ago if you told me a guy threw 96, I was, I was impressed. Now, right. now everybody's throwing 96. I'm watching guys throwing 98, and they're getting lit up. Hitters have adjusted. They're, they're hitting these fastballs at 100 miles an hour to 98. They're used to it. So does he have something other than 96? What else does he have? He, he has a pretty nasty slider as well. But what, and, and, and I think he can get – I mean, he'll be able to get hitters out with that. But the big thing he has – is you can throw you can throw 96 to 98 and be topping out. I think he's got more in there. I mean, we're talking about you know a 95, 96 guy who really hasn't mapped out his lower half and isn't using it as as well as he could. It's his arm action that's really getting there. So somebody with development skills um, as well as strength and conditioning, he may be an upper 90s hundred guy. Uh, you know, a lot like Blake, like Blake Trinan as far as ease of, uh, ease of mode. It doesn't look like he's throwing more than 75 miles an hour. The ball just jumps out of his hand. How big is he? 6'4", uh, like 6'4", two, 220, I believe. So that's a very – I mean, obviously, you know, we get to see Blake on a daily basis, and Blake's a big kid. And as you mentioned, the thing about Blake, it's so effortless, but yet you're looking at the radar gun. It's got sink, and it's 98 miles an hour. So if that's the comparison, <laughs> that, that is very interesting to us. Yeah, the one thing I can't compare it to is, is Blake Trinan's stuff is kind of off the charts when he's on. I don't think there's anybody in the major leagues that has a – I mean, between a sinker and slider it, and, and actually the cutter he added, he's – He's off the charts filthy, so I don't think Nathan's got that sink to, to his pitch. But you know what? It's something he can work on. Not everybody is blessed with the motion and the mechanics that a Trinan or, or, or Nathan have. Uh, but the other stuff, that's what really takes you to the, other, to the next level. You're and, right. And, and we know that all pitchers now, it's all about velocity. Everybody wants to, to throw harder. Is that something you help pitchers with, helping them get ticks up with their velocity? Absolutely. I mean, velocity isn't the key necessarily. Well, it's a key to getting getting uh, folks out, as well as things like tunneling, 
uh, you know, pitch grips, any, anything to make the hitter's reaction tougher. So if, if you make pitches look like each other, a slider looking like a fastball, it makes it tougher on the, on the hitter to react. But absolutely, help, I help pitchers throw harder because they need to be noticed. Nobody gets noticed throwing 88 with command uh, on a video, at least. I mean, you may be Kyle Hendricks, but there's not that many of them. Yeah, explain tunneling to my audience. Sure. Uh, tunneling is, is, is making your pitches look similar to each other to a batter. So um, I, what I do on, on Twitter a lot is show overlays. I try to put two consecutive pitches or two pitches on top of each other to see how hard they are to distinguish uh, for a batter. So if you can make your slider look like a fastball for as long as you can, and then it, and it kind of dips out of, the, out of the tunnel, it makes the hitter's reaction time that much harder. The hitter has to it, – it's very hard for hitters to pick up spin, despite what you hear everybody saying, oh, yeah, you just see it out of hand. Hitters really don't do that all that well. Um, so if your fastball and slider or changeup – they, if they can look the same for as long as possible and then separate, uh, that's kind of an, an optimal way of viewing tunneling. So, like, they're in a tunnel and then diverge. Okay, so 60 feet 6 inches, where between the mound and home plate do you think the end of the tunnel is, or is it different for every guy? It's kind of different for everybody, and it would, ma- it would depend on how fast they throw. So, if you're throwing 100 it, it, it shortens up the reaction time, and your pitches don't really even have to necessarily look like each other that deep into the tunnel because a hitter has to react that, that much quickly or that quick. Uh, someone like uh, Hendricks, he, he, I've seen his, his fastball and changeup may, may map each other all the way to the plate sometimes, and I actually have some where, I, where, they, where they do, and it's amazing. It, the only thing that differs between the two, they stay in the tunnel the same, the same all the way to the plate, the only thing that differs is the speed of them. So it may differ by eight miles an hour, but they travel on the same path, which makes it really hard for a hitter to hit. So it really depends on your stuff, um, how, how much movement you get, as well as the velocity about what, what's going to be key for you. And, and it's really, there's no one size fits all. There's no one answer. And I think that's kind of the hard thing for coaches to get used to, but it's actually kind of easy for me to do is to, to kind of accept what you have as a pitcher and then to work with what you have versus making everybody do the same thing. There's no cookie cutter. Did you ever take a look at Marion Rivera, his fastball and his cutter? I, I have. Um, and, and well, I mean, he's, he's, he's crazy. I mean, it's, that's, uh, he's kind of off the charts when you look at that. Yeah, I mean, he, he basically had one pitch for his entire career, and it was <laughs> arguably the greatest pitch of all time. Where, where are you located? I'm in Atlanta. Okay, so if, if I'm a young pitcher and I want to come see the pitching ninja, how do I get a hold of you? You know, the, the best way to find me is on Twitter. Um, if you follow me at Pitching Ninja, you can uh, watch my stuff. I'll, I'll help anybody out online. I try not to have as many people over my house because my wife may kill me, <laughs> uh, but occasionally I do. I mean, it depends on, on the person. I've had, uh, I've had major league pitchers over here working on, working on stuff. So if I'm a pitcher, I can, have, I can take video of myself and send it to you. Heck yeah, absolutely. The pit, I love it. The Pitching Ninja. Hey, Rob, thank you so much for your time. We truly appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome. No, we'd love to have you on again. Uh, anytime. Had a lot of fun with that.
Yeah, I mean, he he's he's a good interview. We're going to have him on again. And uh, check out his website. I mean, he's all over the place now, but at Pitching Ninja. And if you're a young pitcher, I think you might want to hook up with this guy and see if he could help you. And we're going to end this with Anthony Castrovince, guy who's been contributing to MLB.com for a long time, also the MLB Network. Always love, always love talking ball with Anthony. Anthony, how are you? I mean, sorry, sorry. I'm a, I literally, uh, you know, I hit answer just as it went away. So, story of my life. No, no, no problem. Welcome to A's Cast Live. This is a, a very unique show. We're the only team in baseball who has a 24/7 streaming station on TuneIn, the TuneIn app, and we created this very live. Cool. We created this. We're, we're basically the guinea pig for Major League Baseball, just like the A's have been for for so many years. And uh, <laughs> before you know it, I can guarantee you all 30 because we have we have everybody in baseball calling us, going, "How does this work? How are you doing it?" So this is the future. Yeah. We we appreciate you taking the time. Oh, I, I love it. That's a very cool uh, format, and uh, yeah, happy to happy to give you some time for that. So we we were laughing because it's not too long ago. Brody Van Wagenen, Mickey Calloway. We're talking about how bad the Mets are and how they're <laughs> a joke in baseball. They're winning right now. They're about to make it eight in a row. Are you starting to buy the New York Mets? Well, I mean that rotation is uh, pretty silly. You know that that's up there among the best rotations in the game. Their bullpen was such a, a problem area for them for you know the entire first half of the year, but that's been better of late. So yeah, there's an opportunity for them. They got a soft schedule right now, and they're taking advantage of it, and that can build confidence. They got a lot of nice pieces on that ball club. We knew that coming into the year. It's just that uh, some ugliness unfolded uh, in a lot of ways over the course of the season, but uh, you got to give them credit. You know, that, that was an easy, it would have been easy to just kind of throw your hands up and blow that team up, uh, but they went totally the other direction with the Marcus Stroman deal, and uh, so far uh, that, that clubhouse is, is buying into that momentum and, and, and feeding off of it. So I think about the trading deadline, and at first I didn't like how executives were saying let's even push it back into August, maybe August 15th. I started saying this over a week ago. I was frustrated saying, you know, the problem is with our game is that we got a bunch of guys who are are data-driven numbers guys, and we know that numbers people are conservative by nature. That's why they get into numbers. The numbers give them the answers to all their questions. They're not riverboat gamblers. They're not risk-takers. But I'm starting to change after I think about it a little bit about pushing the trading deadline back, which would mean more teams not selling till later on the season. I think that would be good for the fans. Where do you think the trading deadline should be during the season? You know, I, I lean towards it being where it is for the very real. I mean, another two weeks, it's going to have a dramatic impact on the returns for the selling teams. And uh, so that, that's a very real element of this as well. I think, you know, you got to just kind of set, a, and every other sport does this, you set a, a time in the schedule where this is it. Um, there's still other avenues to improve in August, minor league deals, perhaps if you really need a, you know, if your backup catcher gets banged up and you go make a deal for a, a minor league catcher or, um, you know, there will be guys on outright waivers in this month of August. But, um, but yeah, I, I kind of like that they just kind of cut it off at the head there, July 31st, and this is your last chance to make a big league for big league trade. And um, I, I get that it's an adjustment. I get that people maybe wanted even more activity than there was. Although I, I thought there was a decent amount of activity on that last day. It's just because when superpower teams like the Yankees and Dodgers don't make moves and everybody expected them to make moves, you know that that tends to uh, generate the narrative. But I mean, you think about it. I mean, we had uh, 
some really fascinating deals go down. I mentioned the Stroman trade earlier to a team that was not really viewed as a contender in that moment. Uh, Trevor Bauer to the Reds. The two, the two best starting pitchers who moved went to teams that were below 500, which is really interesting. Um, and, of course, the Zach Greinke deal right at the deadline. So, um, so yeah, I, I thought I didn't, I didn't really wring my hands about it as much as some others. I do acknowledge that, I mean, this, this really comes down to teams are smart, you know, and sometimes smart and entertaining are not the same thing, unfortunately. But, um, but I, I just think that even if it was August 15th, it would be somewhat the same. I mean, teams would still be really reluctant to give up, you know, prominent prospect pieces or even not prominent prospect pieces. And the game is so young now, you can understand why general managers would value that, that young, controllable talent as much as they do. What did you think about what the A's got with Homer Bailey, Jake Diekman, and then, of course, Tanner Roark? You know, I thought they did all right. I, you never know with the A's uh, how aggressive Billy Bean and those guys might get. And, you know, I didn't put it past them to do something, like, super aggressive and, and really, you know, wild people. That obviously was not the case, but for where that team is at, you know, it certainly outperformed expectations relative to losing your best starter, Frankie Montas, to the suspension. Um, you know, they, they plugged some holes. You know, they did what they had to do. So, um, and, and that team is right on schedule, right? We get around this time of year, and actually in the last month or so, and that's, that's where the A's, for whatever reason, tend to take off. So, um, so it was nice to see them reward, uh, you know, that clubhouse, get them hopefully the help they need moving forward. I think Dan Roark, I think a lot of clubs made sense for Dan Roark in particular. Um, you know, he just kind of plugs away and gets you quality innings in rotation. I know the game has kind of gotten away from that, like valuing that, like the old uh, innings eater mold. But he's a little north of that for me. And, um, and again, I, I think it's, it's so important for them with the state of the rotation. And then the bomb dropped after 1 o'clock our time, obviously 4 o'clock on the East Coast where we started getting word that you got to be kidding me. Zach Greinke is going to the Houston Astros. What were your first thoughts when you heard that? Well, my first thought was actually uh, congrats to Arizona because that contract was pretty cumbersome for them. Um, and that's franchise altering when you can unload, what is it, 52, $53 million uh, between now and, and the end of 2021. That, that's a huge move for them. I mean, they got some prospect pieces back, but really the money was the most significant angle for them. So, um, so yeah, bully for them and, and, and good for the Astros too. They, they're seizing their moment. You know, this is obviously a championship window for them. And they did it two years ago with Justin Verlander at the August deadline. They did it this year at the July deadline. Um, it's, it's so fun to think about those guys back-to-back, Verlander and Greinke, because those are two of the greatest pitchers in their generation in the same rotation. And we've seen that before with Verlander. You know, he was paired with Max Scherzer back in the day. And, um, it's pretty cool to see that again. And then I think about the Dodgers and the Yankees. The Yankees didn't get the starting pitching. The Dodgers didn't get the bullpen help looking for another closer. So I, I want to start with the Dodgers. It, how do you think it will play if they end up not winning the World Series and it's because of their bullpen? How do you think that will play out? That's not going to go over well. I think, you know, at some level, you've got to temper the criticism just because of who we're dealing with there with Andrew Friedman and just how successful he's been there. And obviously, you know, you don't build two pennant winners by accident. So it's not like he got stupid overnight. And the price tags were pretty punitive for, like, impact relief help. And he didn't opt to go for non-impact relief. But, like, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, stabilizer fast in the bullpen because 
they do have options. Like, it's easy to get caught up in the regular season and how it looks versus the postseason. They're two different seasons. They're just managed differently. They're rostered differently. And the Dodgers are going to whittle down. They have rotation depth, and they're going to whittle that down to its essence for a short series. And then, the, you know, the extra pieces, the superfluous pieces from the rotation will probably go in the bullpen. Maybe that's Kent Maia and Ross Jure playing, you know. Um, obviously, they, they called up the kid, Dustin May, who could make an impact for them. So, listen, I, yeah, I, I would have loved to see them go out and get a Felipe Vasquez or anything for uh, the bullpen. But I do get where they're coming from. And, again, I, I don't think, you know, it, it, it's, easy, it, it's difficult for me to just, you know, critique that too harshly knowing what they've built there and what they've done there. And the team that, that I really like what they did, and I'm going to be real interested in this series if, if it can happen, is what the Atlanta Braves did by completely remaking their bullpen. So when L.A. doesn't and Atlanta does, that's why I'd love to see these two match up because it, it kind of seems like they're two powerhouses, and what a series that would be. I mean, are you looking forward to that potential NLCS? I am definitely and two teams with a lot of pitching depth in general and, uh, you know, really fun pieces in their lineup. And yeah, I, I want to see Ronald Acuna playing deep into October. That would be great. Um, Atlanta would be, you know, if that Zach Greinke deal doesn't go down at the last possible second, we're probably talking about Atlanta as the big winner from trade deadline day, you know, for what they were able to, because a lot of teams made bullpen moves and within the division, the nationals also totally rebuilt their bullpen on deadline day, but I would, you know, I would lean towards the Braves having done a little bit better, you know, with the pieces that they got back versus what the Nationals got back and some other clubs got back. So um, give credit to Alex Anthopoulos there. I, I, I was even maybe surprised they didn't do actually more like because they were they were certainly in the hunt for a controllable starter as well. But uh, obviously, you know, only a couple of those guys moved for very high price tag. So it's that that organization is so well set up for not just now, but I think they're going to be a you know, a major handful for the NL East for the next several years. Well, once the move was made for Grinky, all of a sudden in Vegas, you had the Dodgers and the Astros tied as the favorites to win it all. Take those two teams out, and if you had to, if you had to, if you had to put money on a team to win it, that's not the Dodgers and it's not the Astros. Who would it be? Well, at the All Star break, I picked Yankees Braves World Series with the Yankees winning. Now, I really thought. You know, the Yankees were going to go out and do something at the trade deadline and not spit it out. And maybe they know more than I know. But, boy, it sure seems dicey with the way that rotation trended in the last in that month of July. You know, I think it was an ERA north of six the month of July. Um, so that invites a lot of questions. But then there's the, uh, the Midwesterner in me, the Clevelander in me, who just says, uh, things will go the Yankees' way somehow, right? Even though they didn't make the impact move, things will break their way somehow in October. They obviously have a very deep bullpen. Um, they hope to get Luis Severino back soon. So, so I, I you know, I, I could probably still even feel good about that pick. Obviously, the Astros are the clear prohibitive favorite in the American League, if not overall, and the Dodgers are the clear prohibitive favorite in the National League. But we all know the way the ball bounces in October, it's a, it's a pinball game, and uh, you never quite know if the best team's going to advance. And you mentioned Cleveland. I cannot believe that Trevor Bauer – held his own press conference, <laughs> he went to the <laughs> Indians game, and then held a 15-minute press conference. We played some of that yesterday on the show. Have you ever heard of a player getting traded, coming back the next day, 
or would that be two days or the next day? It was the next day, right? It was the next day. Yeah, he goes yeah. to the game uh, and it has was, a... It was technically two days, yeah. It was Tuesday night was the trade, and then... Um, uh, oh, it wasn't the next night. I don't know. So this week is a blur for me. Sorry about that. But, yeah, I, you know, the closest comparable I saw to that was way back when I covered the Reds and Danny Graves got DFA'd, their closer, and uh, he came upstairs right after learning he was designated for assignment to do uh, to talk to the media in the uh, like the press dining area, very same, you know, same as Bauer. Uh, but it was not the next day. And uh, yeah, you said, you know, you can't believe it. All I can say is I can definitely believe it. Knowing Trevor <laughs> Bauer, that was, that was not especially surprising that he wanted to, you know, kind of get some last words in. Um, and yeah, he, he's had an interesting career to say the least. He's an interesting guy to say the least. And uh, it's really interesting. It, it, it's a, it's kind of fitting how, unconventional he is and how unconventional that all played out with him going in a three-team trade to a non-contender in all likelihood to the Reds. Um, and then a brawl breaks out, you know, involving one of the players who was involved in the trade in Yasiel Puig. And everything about that was unconventional and it just it fit right in with the Trevor Bauer mold. Anthony, great stuff on MLB.com. We love your podcast, Morning Lineup Podcast. And uh, you can follow Anthony on Twitter, at CastroVents. We'd love to have you on again, and thank you so much for the time. Thank you, guys. Well, that's going to do it for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Thank you to Hall of Famer Tony LaRussa, the pitching ninja, Rob Friedman, also Fran Reardon, AAA manager of the Las Vegas Aviators, and Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com. Hope to see you at the next homestand. Come say hello in the treehouse. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.